Good morning, everybody. My name is Keith Gove, and I get the, the pleasure of sharing this morning and uh, continuing this uh, thankful, grateful theme. Um, we, get to, uh, we get to hear from, from one of our long-lost prodigals, uh, not actually long and lost, but uh, we get to hear from David Bartosik. Family, my name is David Bartosik. I'm a lead pastor out of the church just uh, south of Madison, Wisconsin, and it's Thanksgiving season. And so as I reflect on what I'm thankful for this Thanksgiving season, uh, near the top of my list is the RCC community. I was shaped, I was formed, uh, I was developed, I was invested in. Uh, who I am is because of the investment made uh, in and through the RCC community. Um, I remember growing up as an intern uh, at RCC, having volunteered in the student ministry, and then being sent from the RCC community to Kosovo with my wife, Casey. Uh, coming back then as a student ministry pastor and then an adult ministry pastor, uh, I'm so thankful for the investment that was made in my life, uh, both in good times and in challenging. Uh, Casey and I wrestled through infertility and adoption and we truly experience the joy of Jesus coming to bear in our life through the lives of others uh, in real, meaningful, tangible ways. And so I'm forever grateful for the RCC community helping me experience what it means to engage and encounter my creator through the text and then experience the joy of Jesus, not just as an idea, but in real, tangible ways. And so as I uh, was invested in, I find myself out here in Wisconsin, and through your investment, it's paying dividends in lives that you may never see, may never touch or encounter, and yet paying dividends just the same in lives out here in Wisconsin that are experiencing the joy of Jesus because of your investment in my life. And so uh, this Thanksgiving season, uh, I just wanted to express my thankfulness for what God has done in and through your investment in my life and how it's making an impact and lives out here in Wisconsin. Yeah, very cool. And if I could just add my own, my own thanks as well. Um, I, I came to RCC as a, as a high school student, um, going to Mexico with the youth group, um, and then decided to make RCC my home in 1995 as a, as a college student. And uh, just like David, the, uh, there are not words to express just how uh, deep an impact that you all and, and this place has made on my faith, that, that I am more confident, I am more uh, rooted in God's love and what God has done for me because of the investment of you all here than I, uh, than I could have been. Uh, otherwise. So I'm, I'm very, very grateful to you guys. Grateful that you let me come up here and do this. This is a, a, a lot of fun. Uh, but I don't want to move from, you know, such a positive note to, a, you know, a negative one. But I, I, I do want to tell you, I, I got, you know, I got all of your emails, all of your texts from two weeks ago on uh, chapter 13 in, uh, in 1 Corinthians. Um, and let me just catch you up for those of you who didn't, you know, weren't confused by it. Um, 
So chapter 12, Paul said, you guys have all been given gifts. You've been given gifts by the Holy Spirit. They come from God. Then the second half of chapter 12, they're supposed to be like different parts of a, of a body that all work together, right? They're all connected and, and interdependent. And then chapter th 13, you could have the best of those, but if you don't use them in love, with love, they're like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, right? And you all were like, I don't understand. See, now the thing is that, me too, I was, I was having trouble. Paul means that as a negative thing, the, the gong and the cymbal. He means that. So I know, I know, for me too, I was, I was thrown off because I'm like, noisy gong, that's a great thing. And clanging cymbals, I love that band, right? But Paul actually meant it as a negative. So that's how it flows in the argument, you know, because uh, if you use these gifts... Um, but you don't use them with love. So you got to pay attention to the adjectives. You're like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Obviously, those are bad, you know, but the gong and the cymbal, those are awesome, right? So I am not myself a professional gong player. Like, uh, I don't know what you would call some, well, you know, such a person, uh, a gongist, uh, a gonger. I don't think you would be a gonger. Uh, gong a sewer, that would, be, that would be the one I would choose. Um, but, yeah, ding dong, maybe. I might be that as well. But if you asked such a person who plays the gong, they would tell you that it, there is a way to play it correctly, right? Little known fact, you have to warm up a gong before you hit it. You know, it's not like back in just the T-Rex days, you know, in the 60s, just bang a gong, just throw a rock against it or whatever. You actually play it. It's a musical instrument, right? So Paul is saying, I promise, we're going to get back there. We're, <laughs> we're going to get back to Paul. Any minute now, we're getting back to him. Paul's saying, the gifts are good, the instruments are good, but when you're using them without love, you're using them in an improper way. You're using them poorly. So, you know, drums, obviously, cymbals, gongs is, you know, close to my heart. So let's, let's take a different instrument, right? Imagine you've got a, a Stradivarius, right? Like a, a one-of-a-kind violin that is exceptional quality, right? But then you play it instead of with a bow, with a pickle, right? That old Stradivarius and the pickle metaphor you guys hear in church all the time, right? <laughs> when am I ever going to hear something new in church, right? But you take a good gift and you're playing it in a bad way, right? You're going to get bad results. So that's all Paul's saying. You know the old Stradivarius and the pickle. That's all. So, um, and just so you know, I, I, you know, did some research this week, you know, uh, being responsible uh, about gongs, you know, my own independent research. And I think, this is just, this is just conjecture, but I think that gong is uh, onomatopoeia, you know, a word that describes a sound like whoosh or slam or slap or one of those. I think, you know, like the early band director was like, hey, you in the back, Hit that big thing, metal thing that goes gong. Hit that when the music gets big right there. And so drummer, of course, they're a little slow. So we're going back and forth. You mean this thing that goes gong? Yeah, that thing. Hit the thing that goes gong. Right? And then over time, they just cut down all the ongs and just made it gong. Right? So <laughs> that was for free. Nothing to do with anything. Just wanted you to know. 
maybe how the word came about, not sure. We're picking up from chapter 12, and we're picking up now something that Paul introduced at the end of chapter 12, which was, do all possess, you know, all these different gifts, healing or tongues or interpret? No, not everybody has all the gifts, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. But then he doesn't explain. Then he takes this little sidebar into chapter 13 about love. Now he's coming back to it. What are those higher gifts? Which gifts are higher? Why are they higher? When did they become higher? All this stuff he's going to address in chapter 14 here. So we've got a ton to read. Not a ton. We've got 25 verses. But I want to read it uh, sort of quickly so we can kind of get through it and get to the rest. Kind of unpack it. There are some, some challenging pieces in here that I want us to be able to get to. So we'll read it and then we'll pray. Here we go. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. They're picking up from chapter 12. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to the people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes. How will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. In the law, it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. 
If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So, let's pray and then pull apart the pieces. Lord, would you lead us this morning by your spirit, Lord, to understand your word, to apply it in our lives, to be comforted, to be encouraged, to be built up, to be strengthened, Lord, by your spirit, through your word, for your glory, Lord. Amen. So I don't know about you, but the wind has done wonders for my sinuses. So if I drink a little more than normal, that's just because my inside of my head feels like those dry pine needles that are on the hill. So um, that will help so that I, I don't sound like one of the little rascals. Um, so God's truth builds up the church. Now we got to define this prophecy in tongues. What does Paul mean when he's saying, I, I, I want you to prophesy even more to desire prophecy? Uh, I love that you speak in tongues, but you know, what does he mean? What is tongues? What is prophecy? We need, we need to understand. So that's what these first four verses were going to help us do. So first he says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Back to chapter 12 when he said, desire the higher gifts. He's now saying, here's what I want you to desire. Uh, here are the gifts that I'm considering greater or higher. Verse 3, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to the people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So this prophecy is not just telling the future, right? You know, typically we think of prophecy like, oh, you're going to say something that isn't, you know, hasn't happened yet and you're going you're gonna to tell us about it. In the context that Paul is using this, he's just, this is just synonymous for speaking God's truth whether it's about the past, whether it's about the present, whether it's about the future, just speaking God's truth in a way that builds up, encourages, consoles, in a way that people can understand and God's word can have its impact on them. Then, conversely, he says, one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. So this is somebody who is not speaking a foreign language. They're speaking to God, but they're speaking in a way that no one understands him. He utters mysteries in the spirit. So the way that Paul is using tongues here is not for foreign language that are, that are intelligible to other people. Um, he's talking about kind of a prayer language that is not intelligible to the people around him. Uh, so prophecy speaking God's truth in a way that people understand that can build them up. Tongues speaking to God in a real spiritual experience that is not transferable to other people. It doesn't, it, its application is just between the person and God. No one else understands exactly what's happening. Verse four, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, contrasted with Prophecy, the, he who prophesies builds up the church. So you see Paul setting up this contrast. I want you all to speak in tongues, 
This is not a bad thing. This is a good thing. But even more to prophesy, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So I've made a little chart so that we can kind of keep all these things together. So prophecy, speaking to people for their upbuilding, for their encouragement, for their consolation. We're speaking God's truth in a way that they can understand. So it's not simply telling the future, not limited to that. Um, It's not limited to talking about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It encompasses everything, even that Paul has already written in Corinthians about uh, not dividing, not elevating leaders above what you ought to, and loving one another. All the things that Paul has addressed, these are God's truth for them. He is He is prophesying. He's speaking truth to them. Where tongues, in contrast, is speaking to God, and it's unintelligible to others. It builds up prophecy, builds up the church, tongues. The individual is built up and encouraged, but it doesn't go beyond that. Tongues, a good gift. It's not a bad thing. I don't know about you guys, but I grew up uh, I grew up in a Presbyterian church, you know, uh, which we would lovingly call ourselves the frozen chosen, right? So there's, there's not, there's not uh, a lot of uh, spiritual, you know, fervor that anyone else, you know, gets to see. It's all, I'm sure it's happening. I hope it's happening, but it's all inside, right? As opposed to, again, what I grew up with, the folks that were speaking in tongues, those were the holy rollers, Those were the folks where it was, you know, whatever was going on in their heart, it came out and in all kinds of expressions. And that was not for me growing up. That was not, I did not receive that as a positive thing. Paul is saying, this is a good gift. This gift of tongues, this praying to God and this experience with God uh, that gets expressed in in kind of uh, otherworldly ways, this is not bad. This is a good thing, not, not the experience or not the, what I kind of, I don't know that anyone ever told me it wasn't good. I just kind of picked up, oh, that's, that's for other people. That's, you know, that's not me. Um, but Paul does say this prophecy, this speaking truth in a way that is transferable, that is, you know, intelligible to other people is a greater gift. So, He starts off, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you would prophesy. The one who prophesies builds up the church. So God's truth is to build up the church, and it does build up the church. But God's truth, when it is diminished, when it's veiled, when it's unintelligible, is unhelpful to the rest of the church. And Paul explains How will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching that you can understand? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? Now, I don't think I'm going to get any bad emails, and I didn't get any before, just so you know. Uh, Nobody's going to be upset that that the flute is called a lifeless instrument, I I don't think. I, I'm, I'm just going out on a limb and just kind of guessing that I'm, I'll be okay on that one. Um, but you get the idea, right? In an orchestra, if they're not working together, if they're not doing what they're supposed to do, it's not, it's not doing its job. Um, as someone who spent nine years in the military, the bugle 
they still use bugle calls in the army in 2021. They still use, you know, to tell people when to wake up, when to go to bed, when to go to mess. You know, it's, it's, uh, it still communicates. It's a language of its own that tells people in, in their day, you know, when to attack, when to retreat, an intelligible way to communicate to a lot of people all at once. Um, but if the, the bugle player doesn't play the right call or doesn't play it well, how's anybody going to know if, if it's not intelligible, how are they going to know what they need to do, right? So it's expanding on this same idea. So it is with yourselves. If with your tongue, your, uh, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anybody know what is said? It will be unintelligible, and I will be like a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker like a foreigner to me. So Paul does not get explicit, but I think what is happening here is there's a division even over this gift of tongues in the church in Corinth. And there are some that are elevating this gift of tongues over other gifts. Now you can imagine uh, somebody who has this gift, you know, saying to somebody else, let's say Andrew didn't get this, right? And, you know, I can say, hey, Andrew, you know, I know that, uh, that God probably understands you when you pray in Greek, you know, like a second language, like God knows that, God knows Greek, you know, he probably understands you. But when I pray to God, I speak in God's own language. So I know my prayer is going right to him. I'm sure, I'm sure he hears you, Andrew. I'm sure he's hearing you. But when I pray, you know, it just gets there a little bit quicker. He knows. He knows what I need. And I know I'm adopted into his family. I know I'm his child. I speak his language. You, Andrew, I, you know, I'm sure you're allowed to visit. You know, he'll let you over. But, you know. I'm part of his family. So you see this hierarchy, right? I speak God's language. You don't understand what it is, but I do. And so there's a division happening and this elevation of tongues over all the other gifts. And Paul is saying, if you're not able to communicate God's truth, it's not helping the people around you. So back to our little list, tongues, unhelpful to others. Not that it's not a genuine experience between you and God, but it is unhelpful in that it doesn't communicate God's truth to anyone else. That's why he says, pray for the ability to interpret. So God's truth diminished or veiled or unintelligible is unhelpful for the church. So he says, strive to excel in building up the church. Strive to use your gifts in such a way that you build people up around you. So whatever your gifts, whatever your gifts, strive to build up the church. Now, he's talking specifically about these two, tongues and prophecy. You know, praying in this language that no one around you understands or speaking tr God's truth clearly so that the people around you do understand and can be encouraged and built up and consoled. But what about our gifts? Maybe those two, maybe, maybe we don't feel like we have either of those. So I just grabbed five or six other gifts that don't immediately have a, uh, a prophetic piece to them, a prophecy, a God's truth piece. So let's say your gift is service or your gift is administration, your gift is healing. You can use all those gifts. And Paul is not saying, get rid of those gifts. Leave those gifts behind. 
He's saying, take the gifts that you have and desire, add to them this gift to be able to put into words the God who has gifted you, what he has gifted you to do, why you use the gifts that you use, and the, the hope that you have for what effect those gifts will have on the world and the people around you. So whether it's serving or whether it's uh, teaching, maybe your teaching is not in a, in a religious context, but it's how you've been gifted. It's, how, it's what you do. You love doing it. There's a way we can use all of those gifts in a more full way that would give the people around us more of a picture of the God who has gifted us why he has gifted us, how he has gifted us, and what he hopes that gift might do in their lives. So whatever our gifts, I think Paul's encouragement to us is to use all of those and to desire to add his truth to using those. So for me, uh, I, I love playing drums. I love playing drums. I, I, I have loved it since I was in fourth grade. Um, and if that were the only expression of, of how God has gifted me, it would, be, it would be, yes, a reflection of God's character, but unless I add to that how God has gifted me, that God has gifted me, I could just use my gift and people say, oh, wow, he likes to play drums when I am able to add prophecy and share, hey, here's why I like to play, or here's how I came to use this gift, to have this gift, to employ it in a church, then I'm adding God's truth to another gift that he's given me, and now it has a greater benefit to the people around me. So same is true with all of these. A greater effect of our gifts for the transferring of that blessing, communicating that blessing to other people. So the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may be able to interpret. So don't pray to get rid of the tongues. Just pray to be able to make that gift transferable, transferable and communicable to uh, the people around us. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. I'm having this experience with God but if I can't communicate it to other people, if I can't put it into words that others can understand, it's not going to be a blessing to them. So I'm going to pray that my mind be engaged. So I will pray with my spirit. I'm going to continue to pray in that language, but I'll pray with my mind also so that I know and I understand what I'm saying so that I can have that power to interpret and pass that message, pass that truth along to the people around me. And if I sing... I'm going to sing praise in the spirit, but I'm going to sing with my mind also that I might be able to communicate that truth. So the truth veiled or diminished or unintelligible is unhelpful for the church. It's worse for those outside. It is potentially devastating for those yet to believe. And here's how Paul says it. How can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving or what's going on with you? How can they agree with you? How can they be impacted by what's going on between you and God if they don't know what you're saying and you're not able to tell them? 
How are they going to be brought in to the inside unless you can put it in words? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Did you guys know Paul spoke in tongues? I never learned that in Presbyterian church. Just so you know, never learned that. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So back to this, it's a good gift. It's not bad. It's not a bad thing. Nevertheless, in church, when we're together collectively, I'd rather speak five words that are intelligible and communicating God's truth in a way that people can understand than 10,000 words that are awesome between God and I, but blesses no one else. That's why I think Paul says this is a, a, a greater, a higher expression of our gift, a, a combination of gifts that has a greater impact, a greater blessing for the church and for those who do not yet believe. Now, this section uh, is, I think, more challenging. Um, at least it was more challenging for me as I read through. So we're, we're going to go through this in a little bit more depth. So he gives this story from Isaiah, a little clip from Isaiah that he throws in here. He says, in the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, so he gives this little snapshot of when the Assyrians were, he's, he's telling the people of Israel, the Assyrians are coming because of your disobedience they are going to come. They speak a language you all don't understand. And their language, their coming and, and speaking their language around you is going to be a sign that God is, is unhappy, that he is, you should have been listening this whole time. Now there's people coming into Jerusalem that don't even speak your language and that you can't understand. He says, thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but believers, for believers. Now, if you just read that quickly, it looks like tongues are a sign for unbelievers, prophecy is a sign for believers, which means if I read that right, we should be, you know, speaking in tongues as like an evangelistic exercise. <laughs> like, hey, come and, you know, listen to people that you can't understand. And somehow, hopefully, you'll get, you know, some, some experience by proxy with God. I don't think that's what Paul is saying. So we're going to break it down and we're going to, I hope, make it a little more clear. So thus, um, in a similar way. So he told this story about how God's displeasure was expressed by these folks who were speaking a foreign tongue that, that the Jewish people didn't understand. So thus, when you see among you in the church people speaking in this foreign language that you don't, you don't get, it's not now going to be a sign of God's pleasure, of God's presence among you, which is, I think, what these Corinthians were saying. This is how we know that God is really moving among us because that guy is, is talking his head off and nobody knows what he's saying. Paul says, that's not the sign that God is with you. Um, though it was the sign in pagan worship, like in and around Corinth, the, the people who were going to the temples to Diana or to Artemis or to all these other gods, 
they were having these kind of out-of-body, kind of ecstatic experiences, and it was very common. So Paul says, it is not going to be a sign of God's pleasure and his presence among you, though it is a common uh, show of something divine happening out in the world, you know, to have these uh, what they called manic or mania experiences. Um, but for you guys in the church, it's going to be God's truth that is the, the sign of, of God's presence and God's pleasure with you. That's going to be the thing to look for. That's the, the primary sign. So uh, all the stuff in parentheses is just kind of my, my uh, interpretation. The rest of the verse is in bold. So thus, in the same way like, like before in Israel's history, unintelligible tongues are a sign of God's presence and pleasure, not for believers, but they often are for unbelievers, right? They're often a sign of something divine going on, but it's, that's not going to be the primary sign among the church. While prophecy, speaking God's truth, is a sign of God's presence, though it, is, it doesn't exist out in the world. God's truth is not being proclaimed in every temple on every corner out in Corinth. It, it has to come from the church. It has to come from believers. That's going to be the sign that I'm, I'm with you. Again, to the, for the outsiders, if somebody comes in and the whole church is speaking in these tongues that no one else can understand or interpret, how is an outsider going to respond? They're going to come in and say, you guys are nuts. <laughs> you, or you guys are just like the temple down the street. You're just, this is the same stuff that's going on at the temple to Diana. You guys are no different, but they're not going to hear God's truth. So they're going to be turned away. But if those same outsiders, those same unbelievers come to the church and you're prophesying, you're speaking God's truth in a way that they can understand, then that outsider can be convicted, called to account. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. That's the desire. That's the hope that in addition to our other gifts, we would desire this ability to communicate it in words that other people can understand. So desire more of God's clear truth. Now, when we hear Paul say that, I think it can sound a little funny, you know, you guys remember the, the Willy Wonka movies, right? You know, where Veruca Salt, she's got everything. She's got anything she wants, right? But then she sees the squirrels, you know, and, Daddy, I want a squirrel. You know, she just, she's not happy with her gifts, you know. She wants, uh, she wants what somebody else has. And it could sound like that's what, what Paul's saying here. Oh, you got the gift of craftsmanship. You got the gift of service. You got the gift of mercy. No, no, no. You should want the better one over here. That one's prophecy over here. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, God has given you gifts. Now desire more of the ability to communicate that blessing in ways that other people can understand, in ways that other people can assimilate that information and say, oh, that's the God who has blessed. That's the God who has worked in Keith's life. That's the God who is, uh, is doing and empowering all these things that I see. So desire more of God's clear truth through the use of all our gifts 
adding prophecy, adding God's truth to the expression. So pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. But we're going to start on this first section, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. You may have grown up like me where any kind of expression uh, in church other than coming and sitting is, is, is a little over the top, right? You don't say amen. You don't raise your hand. You don't stand up unless you're told. You know, that's the church that I, I grew up with. That's the church I'm comfortable with. Uh, Paul is saying we should be earnestly desiring more of what the Holy Spirit has to offer for us, for our confidence, for our good. Remember when he said, you know, tongues encourage that person, but it's just not transferable. But the encouragement to that person is a great thing. We should desire to be more encouraged by God. We should desire to be more confident in who he is and what he's done for us and what he has in store for us in the future. So earnestly desire a greater connection to God through the gifts of his Holy Spirit. We know from the rest of Scripture, God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. And he wants to give good gifts to his children. So we're going to take some time and pray. Not long. We're just going to say, in as much as it is a genuine expression of your heart, I don't want you, I'm not asking you to pray something that you don't want. <laughs> I'm not asking you to pray for something that you don't believe. Uh, but ask God for more for a greater experience of his spirit in our lives. So I'm just going to be quiet and let us pray for that for a minute. Amen, Lord, I agree. We want more of your spirit. I'd like us to pray, continue praying, but pray now especially that we might add to whatever gifts God has given us the ability to communicate his truth. not just as a, a role in church, but as a, a lifestyle. Wherever we go, whatever we do, however we're gifted, to be able to express 
who it is that has gifted us, why we use the gifts we use, what our hope is that would be the effect of those gifts, that we would use them to love people in word and in deed. So let's just pray now for the ability to put prophecy together to work with our gifts. Lord, would you give us courage? Would you give us boldness to speak um, what you have done in our lives? Why we have the gifts we have. Why we use the gifts we use. Why we do what we do. Lord, give us the ability to speak of the hope that we have. Lord, help us increasingly to speak your truth in the situations of uh, our everyday, Lord, for your glory. Amen.